Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. I love that. Hey, I, man, I am thrilled. I just, I feel like our time together is so short. We're already like going to go home tomorrow. Everyone say, oh, one, two, three. Oh, hey, do us, a, do us a favor. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. It is in the New Testament. It's going to be a good time this evening. I'm really excited about this message. The first two were a little heavy, right? We, we, we together talked about... Um, how we were born into bondage. We, we talked about how we were, no matter what, kind of enslaved to sin as that was our, our original kind of um, designation because of what Adam had done. Um, there's a passage in the Bible that says that everyone has sinned. It says no one is perfect, no, not one. And that's a lot. But we didn't stop there. The Jesus I serve stepped into that mess and he died for you and me. And tonight, we're going to talk about the cost of that. I think from a very elementary level, we all understand that Christ died for us. But if you're anything like me, I went for a very long time not fully understanding the reason why he had to die. If God is all-powerful and almighty, why did Jesus have to die? Further, it was all the way up until I was probably in, in, in 10th or 11th grade where I really fully understood how awful it was that Jesus literally had his body torn for us. We're going to talk about the cost of the freedom. And as we know, when you pay a lot of money for something, you get something really nice, don't you? We're going to talk about how because Jesus paid such a high price, so much is to come from that. You see, Jesus didn't just die so that you and I can experience camp. Jesus didn't just die so that you and I can like feel a little bit better about ourselves or so that like there's we can whatever. Jesus died for so much more than you and I could ever imagine. I am so excited to tear into God's Word this evening. I hope you are too. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be encouraging. It's going to be exciting. Let's pray. Let's pray this specifically. Let's pray that we're able to convene with God tonight. Let's pray that that His Spirit would be ever-present in this room doing a good work. What do you say? You ready? Let's go before our Lord and Savior this evening. Lord, we we come to You out out of humility. And in a spirit of need, God, I, I need you. Lord, remove us, remove me, fill me with your words and your spirit. 
God, I pray tonight someone would understand who they are before you tonight. And they would come to a, to a saving knowledge of your grace. We love you. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I want to start with reading um, God's Word because it's my favorite thing in the whole world. So Romans chapter 6. We're going to be in verses... Um, well, we're going, to, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6. Well, let's start with verses 3 and 4. It says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I'm going to do my best, but I feel like there, there's so much here. You see, the first thing I want you guys to write down, because I really want you to interact with this for a moment, is that Jesus died. Jesus died a real death. It's important that we understand that. Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. We talked about on night one and this morning that when we commit sin, the result of that is death, and death reigned over man. We were born in Adam, and death reigned over Adam and his kin, his offspring, all of us, and death was in charge. This is really, really important that Jesus died. You see, Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. Fully God and fully man. And that's really hard to understand, but it's important that we understand it. And this is how it works. You see, he was fully 100% God. And we know that because his father was God himself. And we know that because an angel came to Mary and told her that God was going to do a work. And because of that work, Mary would become pregnant. She was not to become pregnant because of any other means or any other action other than God doing a work. God did something. Scripture doesn't tell us what. God did something and Mary was pregnant. You see, when two imperfect people come together and they make something, no matter what it is, that thing that they create is by design, is, is, is by inheritance rather, imperfect. That's not something that we need to debate about. If you want proof, look all around you. The thing currently that, that, that like honestly makes me the most upset regarding imperfect things, this is going to sound ridiculous, is sneakers, all right? I'm a big dude, all right? I almost weigh 300 pounds. I have ginormous feet. I have some hobbit flippers up in here, all right? They are size 12 and a half 4E, Okay? which is ginormous. And here's the problem. 
A couple of years ago, like way a long time ago, when I was in high school, I started running barefoot because running with regular sneakers was making my heels and my back hurt. So I did a little research, and I'm like, I'm going to try this barefoot running thing. But you can't run barefoot, right? Because then you're, you'll get your feet sliced open and you'll die, okay? So I found sneakers that imitated barefoot running. I wore toe shoes, okay? I did, and I had friends at the same time. It was incredible. But here's the problem. The older I get, the less people want to be friends with the toe shoes guy, in, in, including my wife. So I'm left in this position where there's really, there's really only two sneakers that exist that fit my feet and don't give me back pain, all right? There's only two. One of them is $200. The other one, they stopped making. Here's the problem. I burn through sneakers like crazy because I'm huge. Why can't they make a sneaker that fits my foot that doesn't cost like three plasma donations? And if you're broken here in your youth past, you know what I mean. But in all seriousness, everything around us is falling apart and breaking. Every single thing all around us is falling apart and breaking. Your car wears out, you got to buy a new car. Your couch wears out, you got to buy a new couch. Your sneakers wear out, you got to buy new sneakers. Your book bag wears out, your books fall out of the bottom of your bag, you're embarrassed, you buy a new book bag, right? Everything's imperfect. If you ever talk to like a crunchy mom, right? All they talk about is how imperfect all the food at the grocery store is. Everything's imperfect because humans made it and we're imperfect. Things that are imperfect and broken don't have the ability to impart perfection on something else. So, so if two humans came together to make Jesus, Jesus would be imperfect. But that's not what happened. God caused Mary to become pregnant, which means that one part of that equation was perfect because it was God. And we know that perfection can overcome imperfection. So you've got Jesus, who's perfect. And that's important that we know that he was perfect before he died because he was perfect in all ways and he led a sinless life. He didn't do anything wrong. There's a preacher right now on TikTok that will tell you different, but Jesus didn't do anything. We see no wrong done by Jesus in Scripture. We see no wrong. Guys, the reason that I, that, I, that I preach out of a paper Bible and, and I have it in my hand is because I want you to know that this is the authority. This is the authority. Nothing else. And in here, there's not, Jesus does nothing wrong. Nothing wrong is done in here. So he's perfect and he's, and he's sinless. Because of his perfection and because of his sinlessness, he was the perfect candidate to die for you and me. The wages of sin is what? It's death. And Jesus got on that cross as a perfect human being, as well as being a perfect God. And he took death upon himself. He allowed his heart to stop beating. He allowed his lungs to stop bringing in air. And if, like, let's get down on the scientific level for a second. The process is of his body 
that metabolized food into energy so that he could have life on this earth ceased. And he died. And then they took him off that cross. They mourned him. I mean, they were best friends with Jesus. I mean, they traveled with Jesus for three years. They put him in the grave and they sealed the tomb. Everybody in this room, I want you to know something. It had to be death. I said earlier in our time together that Christianity is the only faith system in which our sin actually has to be paid for. When you break something that belongs to your friend, the immediate desire in our hearts is to replace it for them. When you're getting out of your mom's car a little bit too quick and you just totally crush the trash can next to your house with the car door, your immediate reaction is, is I'm going to have to fix that. When you hurt your friend's feelings, your immediate reaction is to go out of your way to affirm them even though you accidentally said something horrible about their outfit. Like, I'm giving you all these examples, but you guys know it's true. When you do something wrong, the first thing your heart wants to do is pay for that wrong. We get really good at suppressing it, but the first thing that your heart wants to do is pay for that wrong. Your heart has a guilt debt that it wants paid. And the Bible says the only thing that can fully and totally pay that guilt debt is death. I personally do not want to die. And if all of us in here are in a right frame of mind and totally healthy in mind and body, we would agree that dying is not a good option. Jesus no longer wanted to see his creation grapple with death. You want to read a really, really cool scripture? Go into John chapter 11 where it says Jesus wept. That little tiny piece of scripture, there's like a whole bunch in there. Jesus was done seeing humanity grapple with death, so he came and he allowed himself to die. And it had to be death because the only way that the debt of sin can be paid is death. And the only way that it would cover all of our sins if the death was done by somebody who was completely perfect, and that is who Jesus is. It had to be death. But here's the thing. Anybody can die for somebody else. It happens all the time. People step in in a situation of war, I mean, my grandfather was in Vietnam. He told me stories. People allowing themselves to take the ammunition from the enemy so that the person standing behind them wouldn't die. Brave, yes. Commendable, absolutely. My grandfather was the recipient of a sacrifice like that. And I got all those years with it. It was awesome. Fantastic. I'm not discounting that. But humanity does that for humanity. Here's the thing. 
That death exchange doesn't pay for sin because the person that's died, he's not perfect. Further, they stay dead. Do you know what Jesus did? He rose three days later, which means that he was super dead. He was very dead. Like it's so important that we understand that he was dead and it was not smoke and mirrors. It is so important that we understand that he was dead and it was not smoke and mirrors. God in his grace for us allowed himself to be completely dead so that we could see and we could have eyewitness account of his body laying lifeless to the point where they sealed the tomb because they knew that there was nothing left to hope for because they didn't listen, he told them, but that's a whole separate sermon. And then Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose on the third day. He came back to life. And you know what's special about that? We get to live life with him and in him because he's not dead. Every other faith system, we're expected to worship somebody who stayed dead. Which is fine and all, but the Jesus I worship and serve rose. Which I think makes Him more qualified to receive worship from me than anything else. Him not staying dead, in my opinion, is the best part because he came back to life. And here's the thing. Like, it's easy to be skeptical of this. There's eyewitness account. Like, Mary and Martha saw what was going on, and they were like, wow, this is weird. And they ran, they ran and they told everybody. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. Jesus had come back to life. <sighs> Death took Jesus and he was dead, and then Jesus himself fought death, and he won. Our sin is over now, because Jesus went toe-to-toe with it, and then, he, and then he won. He won. On the cross, he cried out to Telestai, which means it is finished. He went into the grave, and he came out three days later, because it's done now. And if we go back to our text, the Apostle Paul in writing this is creating a beautiful picture where he's allowing us to relate our experience with what happened to Jesus to show us the process of sanctification in our lives. Let's go back to the text. Do, verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, everyone who has accepted Christ as their Savior, have been into Christians were baptized into his death. Ourselves, when you accept Jesus, your old self dies. It's gone, it's done. And then we were buried with him by baptism into death, right? Like it's gone now, super dead, right? Our old self is very gone. And then just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of his Father, we too might walk in newness of life. By doing this thing, Jesus created a forum for us to have a similar victory over sin, death, and the grave. Live there for a second. 
that thing that you really want to stop doing, but you can't? Jesus created a form for you to have victory over that. The anxiety that cripples you, look, been there, all right? I've had anxiety so bad that I can't even get my work done. It just keeps coming and coming and coming and berating and berating and my heart hurts and my head is spinning and I don't know what I'm going to do and I don't know where I'm going to go and I want to escape, but where do you escape to? Jesus created a form where we can have victory over that. The thoughts, some of you know what I'm talking about with the thoughts. They just keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming and they don't stop coming. The thoughts just keep berating you and berating you and you can't forget what they are and you try to distract yourself and that only works for so long and then your phone dies and then what are you going to distract yourself with now? Jesus created a form where we can have victory over that. Jesus created a spot where we can have victory over that. Jesus created a process where we can have victory over that. By doing this thing, Jesus created something for us so that when we accept Christ, we can be changed. When you accept Christ, you are without a doubt 100% changed forever and for the better and for good. I got verse 3 up on the screen because it says that right here. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You see, when something something ends and then comes back, it's different. Adults, we probably know this better than our students. Every time they try to re-resurrect something that we love from our childhood, it's always different. But here's the, here's the better thing about Jesus, guys. Here's the better thing about Jesus. Human beings are imperfect. So if they take an imperfect thing and try to make it better, they always make it less better. When Jesus takes something imperfect and tries to make it better, it's not a try thing. He just does it. Jesus made me better. Jesus made me so much better. I'm sure your leaders have stories of Jesus making them better too. So we're new now, all right? If you know Jesus is your personal savior, you're new. You were, and now you're here, and you're new. Whatever you were before, whatever, you're new now. We died to sin. Sin has no hold on us. And I think we get that wrong a lot when we say that sin has no hold on us because it can be really overwhelming to have a youth pastor tell you sin has no hold on you and then as soon as you get home, your buddy sends you a picture that you shouldn't look at and you don't whether or not, like it's hard for you to delete it. Or like, hey, sin has no hold on me, right? But then when you get home, you see that mom has put your favorite food in the pantry and it's really hard for you not to go shut yourself in the closet and eat all of it. Or, 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 or sin, sin has no hold on me, right? But when I'm alone in my room, the thoughts won't stop. It's really, really hard for us to reconcile the two. So I want to make it a little bit clear for us in case you've misunderstood. A, sorry you've misunderstood. That's got to be really, really hard. But this is what that actually means. When sin has no hold on me, that means that God has given me the ability to say no. 
When the thoughts start, you can tell them, I am a new creation in Christ, bud. You can go get somewhere with that. When you walk in the room, when you walk into the kitchen, you see that your mom has restocked the pantry. Like, guys, I just want to let you know for a second, that food addiction stuff is real. People struggle with that. And that's okay that you struggle with that because Jesus has given you the power to say no. When you see whatever it is that your weakness is, whatever your battlefield is when it comes to food, when you see that in the kitchen and you've already had a bad day at school or you've already had a bad day at work and you open that pantry door, you can look at that and you can say, I don't need that for my fulfillment. No, God's given you the power to do that. And you know what's even crazier? Scripture shows us that God sends angels to help with that. And if you think that that's the weirdest thing you've ever heard at church camp, all you have to do is go and go read the story where the angels came to minister to Jesus after he had been tempted for 40 years. 40 days, sorry. It's been a long weekend already for me. 40 years sounds better. You're new. Sin has no hold on you because you have the ability to say no. Now, when we've been, when we, like, when we die to ourselves and we've been made new, that kind of leaves us in a bizarre position because we die to our old self, which means that our old identity of whatever sin of our choice, whatever our sin of choice was, whatever identity, whatever our identity was, is dead now, and we've been made new, right? And at this point in the picture, we're kind of like a brand new car that hasn't had the trim put in it yet or the paint put on the, on, on the outside of it yet. Like what is, that's kind of weird. Like you're kind of in this like weird limbo. But God doesn't leave us floundering out there unsure of what we're supposed to do. We don't stay out there. No, verse 4 is hyper clear. It says, We were buried therefore with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We are renewed so that we have newness of life. Guys, life with Christ is more abundant. Life with Christ is more abundant. It's better. It's, it's more exciting. It's more peaceful. It's true living in freedom versus living freely. Freedom bound. You want to know what freedom is? Live under Jesus. I got to a point in my life where I was so frustrated because even though I knew Jesus, I decided I, I knew my own way and it was better. And I was living freely. And it was awful. I hit this point in my life where like, I felt like I needed to just get it off all my... I, I, needed to conf like, I was so frustrated. I needed to get it all off my chest. All the sin, all the stupidity that was in my life. I called my uncle up. I rented a car and drove to his office. It was like an hour north of where I was living. I sat in his office and he's like, hey man, like what's, what's going on? And I chickened out. 
and I didn't tell him anything, and I made up some story about being frustrated I couldn't finish college, and I went home. But God wasn't done with me yet. He continued to press and press and press and push and push and push. And then when I finally just said, okay, God, I'm sorry, I'm here. Cleanse me of my sin. Everything changed for the better, and it was great. And it wasn't like this fairy tale story. It was just normal. I was miserable, and now I'm not. And I get to live life more abundantly now. I get to do stuff like this. My wife is awesome. My kid is really fun. And I get to enjoy those things freely because God gave them to me. I don't have to worry about things. I still do because I'm still broken, right? I am not going to be fully fixed. We're not going to be fully fixed until the day Jesus comes back. We'll talk about that tomorrow. But like I just, I, I get to live free. If you skip down a couple of verses in chapter 6, it, it, says, it says this in verse 7. It says, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We've died to sin. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are dead to sin. You can say no to sin. No sin. Check. We have been set free from the sin. Some of you came into this place with sin chaining you to it by guilt and other means, and when you accept Christ or you confess that sin and you are able to break those bonds in Jesus' name, you can say no to that sin now. No sin. Peace be steel. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Check. And then we live with Christ. And here's the cool part. We become more like Him because we live with Him. If you ever watch my dad preach, you will see the same thing you're seeing now. Everyone tells me that all the time, and it's weird because I think I'm cooler than my dad. Do you know why we're so alike? I spent a vast amount of time with my father. I sat under his preaching for like a handful of dozens of years, lots of years. When you sit under the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your heart, you will become more like Jesus. That sounds nice. Because if you look at who Jesus is, that's someone I want to be. He's powerful. He says no to sin. He treats other people with dignity and respect. He loves people freely. He's wise. He knows how to comfort people. He knows how to be giving. He knows how to handle family disputes. He knows how to feed people. I love feeding people. It's like my favorite thing to do. He feeds people spiritually. He's a really good preacher. You become more like Jesus. You become more like Jesus. You know what Jesus isn't? Jesus isn't afraid. Wouldn't that be nice? Who's experienced fear before? Jesus, Jesus doesn't. That would be really nice. It's not an overnight process. I didn't, I didn't get as lame as I was now by spending one night with my dad. 
right? Took years. That's why when you see a person who's loved Jesus their entire life, and they're like really old, it's why they're so different to everybody, because they've had 80 years of practice of spending time with Jesus. So as we, as we grapple with this newness of life, as we grapple with what it means to, to, to look at the cost of that, what Jesus paid, he got us newness of life. It was so expensive for Jesus to buy us new life. He had to die. And not only did he have to die, he had to live on this earth for 30 some odd years. He went from being all powerful, mighty God to being a human being on this earth for 30 some odd years. I don't even know what 30 years feels like yet. And, and my knees hurt all the time. Jesus did that and then he died for you and me. That's an expensive proposition. So that we could have newness of life. And in that newness of life, we were able to freely relate to him. Yes, the cost was great, but the reward for us as believers is great as well. Because when we freely relate with our designer, we can live as we are designed. Some of you people are in here and you are designed to be poets. And people will understand the gospel better because of the poetry you write. And we're not going to know what that is until you can freely relate with your creator. And the only way you can do that is if you accept Jesus. Some of you in here tonight are musicians. And the, and the, and the, and the, and the lyrics and the melodies that God has placed in your heart are incredible. But we're not going to be able to hear them until you can freely relate with your creator. Some of you are philosophers. And we're not going to be able to understand the gospel as well as you because we're not as smart as you. But you're on your high horse and you refuse to accept Jesus. You're not going to be able to be philosophical enough. You're not going to be able to do totally what it is that you are designed to do until you can freely relate with your creator. RVR, I want to tell you something. I want you to freely relate with your creator. Won't you let me or your leader introduce you to Jesus this evening? Won't you let us introduce you to Jesus this evening? Think about it. Total freedom. Total freedom. You think that, that what I'm peddling up here is religion where you're tied to rules. I'm so sorry you got it mistaken. I'm talking about total freedom, freely relating to my creator and my creator showing me how I am designed. And when things are used as they are designed, they just work better. Here's the result of all this. And then, and then I'm going to close because we've already been in here too long and I love you guys to death. All right. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through... The end of the chapter, I think, yes, 19, 18, doesn't matter, the end of the chapter. It says this, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Guys, you're living with a veil. The veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is 
the Spirit Turn to the Lord and experience ultimate freedom. Turn to the Lord and experience ultimate freedom. Turn, please, to the Lord, please, and experience ultimate freedom. Some of y'all are up in this place and you're so shackled, you look like the Marley brothers. And and that's got to be hard. You've got to be tired. You've got to be weary. You've got to be weak. You've got to be overwhelmed. You've got to be anxious. You've got to be angry. The only way that any of that will be resolved is if you just please, won't you turn to the Lord? Humble yourself before the Lord. Please turn to Him. Ask Him for forgiveness. There is no condemnation at the cross. He is free to forgive. It is His death. He can choose who He forgives. And He said, I'm going to forgive all of y'all because I love all of you. It's that simple. I think the way that we handled it this morning worked really, really well. So we're going to handle it the same way tonight. You're all about to go to um, small groups. Some of you need to have a conversation with your youth leader about who Jesus is to you. Some of you do. Some of you need to accept Jesus tonight. And you know it. And I'm so excited for you. Do me a favor. On your way out, I'm going to dismiss you. On your way out, tap your leader on the shoulder. Give him the look, all right? The I need you to help me with this Jesus thing look, okay? And I promise you, on their behalf, they will have that conversation with you this evening before it all is done, all right? Youth leaders, we good with that? All right, sweet. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to dismiss you. Do not waste time. Do not let your friend distract you. Hey, can I tell you guys something? Just real quick. Do not be a distraction. This is not an opportunity to show your friend that YouTube video that you've been waiting all night to show them. This is not that. Just don't be just everyone. We're going to be silent and we're going to move out of here in a spirit of just keeping the vibe in here. All right. We want to carry this vibe to where we're going. So we're going to be relaxed and we're going to be calm and we're not going to be giggly and weird. And we're just if we need to, we're going to tap our youth leader on the shoulder. and We're going to give the look. We good. We good? All right, let's pray. Lord, God above, please, please, please reveal yourself to some of these kids tonight. These students, these young men and women, they need you. They're not living in freedom, God, but through you, they can. And all they have to do is say yes. God, your word's really clear. You reveal yourself to us. God, reveal yourself to us. The skeptics, the doubters. God, help us. God, empower these youth leaders with wisdom as they guide these discussions. We love you. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.